Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a nice glass of white wine. What about you, Del? I am drinking a virgin mojito, and on this week's episode, we are going to explore the world of TV evangelicalism and its connection to the prosperity theology, also known as seed faith. The teachings of the prosperity gospel has been used to take advantage of low-income individuals and those who believe that the preachers who are promoting it are actually reflecting the word of God, despite evidence to the contrary. Prosperity theology teaches that Christians are entitled to well-being, and because spiritual and physical realities are seen as one inseparable reality, interprets well-being as physical health and economic prosperity. The prosperity gospel originated as an offshoot of Pentecostalism in post-World War II America. The movement gained a larger following through the use of radio and television and became firmly entrenched in the 1980s rise of televangelism. Theology researcher Kate Bowler explained the support of the prosperity gospel stating, quote, prosperity gospel makes everyone feel special. It makes everyone feel uniquely chosen. Every detail of your life is God's ultimate concern. I've seen that do wonders for people, end quote. The man who could be considered the father of modern prosperity gospel teachings is Oral Robert. This faith-healing evangelist became so influential that he started his own school, Oral Roberts University. At the height of his influence, Roberts oversaw a ministry that brought in $110 million in annual revenue. Kenneth Copeland was a student at Oral Roberts University and is one of the wealthiest preachers in the world. These men paved the way for the televangelists who became famous in the 1980s and afterward, including Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, Benny Hinn, Pat Robertson, and Robert Tilton. Today, some of the best-known prosperity teachers are Creflo Dollars, T.D. Jakes, Guillermo Maldonado, Joel Osteen, and Paula White. By the late 2000s, proponents claimed that tens of millions of Christians had accepted prosperity theology. In the 2000s, churches teaching prosperity theology saw significant growth in the third world. According to Philip Jenkins of Pennsylvania State University, Poor citizens of impoverished countries often find the doctrine appealing because of their economic powerlessness and the doctrine's emphasis on miracles. One region seeing explosive growth is Western Africa, particularly Nigeria. A 2006 poll by Time reported that 17% of Christians in America said they identified with the movement. One of the prevalent forms of prosperity gospel is what is termed seed faith. In this case, the seed is money or other material items. Oral Roberts coined the term and he describes it as, quote, when you sow your seed, you can expect that God sees your giving and will multiply back to what you have given, just as he promises in his word. You can talk to God about your specific need as you give, trusting him and releasing your faith for that need to be met, end quote. He continued, when you give or sow your seeds of faith, you are expecting to reap the benefits. God is not looking at the amount you sow. He's looking at your heart, your motive, and your faith. No matter how little you think you have, sow it in joy and faith, expecting your seed to reap God's miracles. End quote. 
Robert Tilton showcases how someone should participate in seed faith by stating, quote, one of the best ways to stretch your faith, but only when your vow goes beyond your natural resources or abilities. I don't need much faith to vow $100 if I have 2000 in a savings account. But if I don't even have a savings account and can barely pay my bills, then a $100 vow will stretch my faith indeed, where I will have to seek God and focus on him to supply the seed to pay that vow, end quote. Many people conflate the practice of tithing with seed faith. Tithing is the customary practice of giving 10% of your income to your local church. Many who can't give 10% give what they can. Seed faith preachers say that seed faith is in addition to tithing and they claim it as a way of showing, quote, real devotion to your faith. The most vocal complaint with the prosperity gospel is that it glorifies the accumulation of money and terms the virtuous act of faith, giving and obedience into mere tools for getting stuff from God. The prosperity gospel includes falsehoods that misuse biblical teachings in order to enrich the preacher. The prosperity gospel promises that the atonement of Jesus covers illness and poverty. These preachers will say that at the cross, Jesus died for our inequity, sorrows, illnesses, sicknesses, and poverty. This leads to believing that true Christians should never be sick or struggle financially. Scripture says that there are very godly, quote, saved people who get sick and live by humble means. It continues by stating that our freedom from sickness and death is in the new heavens and new earth. The prosperity gospel promises entitlement to material and physical blessings. They will take passages like Genesis 12, 15, and 17, which are about spiritual blessings, and say that they are about material blessings. This leads to people coming to God for what he can give them. Scripture says that belief in Jesus means we receive the spirit in every spiritual blessings. Now that we've laid out what the prosperity gospel is and isn't, let's dive into some of the most prominent proponents of it. The first is Kenneth Coughlin. Coughlin and his wife Gloria run Kenneth Coughlin Ministries and have amassed a net worth of over $300 million. The Coughlins have been criticized for their very extravagant lifestyle, which includes a $6.3 million tax-exempt house and three private jets, including one that is worth over $17.5 million. His use of private jets caused people to question why he needed to use them, and his response was that demons fly commercial. He later tried to clarify the statement by saying that he would have to end 65% of his work if he flew commercial. Recently, he caused a stir when he claimed to have ended the COVID-19 pandemic by blowing it away. He also urged his followers to continue sending his church money, even if they were not able to afford it due to the pandemic. Another prosperity gospel preacher is Pat Robertson, who runs the 700 Club and has a net worth of over $100 million. Robertson has also been accused of using his tax-exempt nonprofit organization, Operation Blessing International, as a front for his own financial gain, and then using his influence in the Republican Party to cover his tracks. Robertson continues to state that Operation Blessing was largely responsible for providing aid to Rwanda following the 1994 genocide even after an official investigation into Operation Blessing described it as a, quote, fraudulent and deceptive operation that provided almost no aid. 
According to The Guardian, all Operation Blessing volunteers did was recite Bible passages at dying refugees. There are so many more examples of prosperity gospel preachers ripping off their supporters and not giving back to the community in which they are supposed to serve. Creflo Dollar once asked for $65 million for a Gulfstream jet, which he famously responded to criticism by stating, quote, if I want to ask God for a $65 million jet, you cannot stop me, end quote. Joel Osteen, in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, Osteen initially refused to open his 16,000-seat capacity megachurch for people in need of shelter, citing unverifiable claims that the church had suffered significant damage. After social media backlash, he opened the church and started providing medical attention and food support to Harvey victims. This is one of the cases where it seems like there are no good actors in this whatsoever. It seems like everyone is just trying to take their piece of the pie. So what's your opinion on the prosperity gospel? So I will preface this by saying I am not a religious person. I was not raised um, with really any type of religion. And to me, these people are scam artists and they are not true representations of what it means to be a Christian or a preacher. To me, I think it's pretty obvious that they are scamming people and they're kind of finding loopholes in the system to do it. I hope that everyone has seen the video of Kenneth Copeland being interviewed talking about the demons flying commercial. It's pretty entertaining and I feel like it sums up the prosperity gospel pretty well. Um, That being said, I feel like scandal follows a lot of these people. The bakers, they were found to be mishandling funds. And it seems like it's pretty obvious that Pat Robertson was and I mean, pretty much everybody that we claimed. I don't think there's anything wrong for churches asking for money as long as they are using it to maybe help needy families and individuals that come into the church or doing something to help the community somehow. But these people clearly aren't. I don't know if maybe they started off their careers helping and, you know, they just get some fame and fortune and it goes to their head, but they're frankly despicable people in my opinion. An issue I have, and I'm going to talk about this a little later, I don't like when religion is used to take advantage of someone, whether that's sexually abusing someone or scamming someone to give them all their money. It doesn't sit right with me. And I think that's why a lot of people are leaving religions, especially younger people, because we're kind of seeing through the BS and they just don't want to deal with that anymore. And they really value honesty and are finding better ways to help communities and better organizations to support financially. So I definitely understand where you're coming from, Jenny. I grew up in a religious household. I have a religious background. I am a Christian. And it definitely is very frustrating to see that people are being taken advantage of by lure their faith and by these people who try to use the word of God for their own very selfish purposes. I think that when you act in bad faith, you do give Christianity a very bad name. And like you were saying, it does make people think, well, if these are the most prominent Christians, they must be the most accurate representation for Christianity. I want no parts of that. And I think, unfortunately, scandals have become a big part of the movement. And I think the more the media is investigating Christian organizations, the more you're finding out exactly what's kind of been hidden, what rarely gets talked about thinking of like the Catholic church and their sex scandals, which we still don't know the full extent of. 
Um, I know we're going to be talking about the fundamental church of Latter-day Saints a little later. We also don't completely know the full extent of that. And because they have so many offshoots, we don't know how much this behavior is actually continuing. It also is shocking to me how public the prosperity gospel was able to be with their scams. It's not like they're hiding. It's not like they're in small churches. They're on television. It's like 1.30 a.m. And you just hear him like, this seed is worth your whole life. If you just sow your seed, you're going to be able to get everything that you want in life. If you don't sow your seed, that's why you're failing. And I can definitely understand if someone is desperate, why they're believing that. If you think the only thing between you and being rich and being prosperous is your last $20, it makes sense to gamble on that. It's related to the fact that low-income individuals disproportionately spend a lot of their income on the lottery. It's the same mechanism. It's the same scam. You know, you are thinking that, okay, I don't have a lot, but I can make this little bit a lot by luck. In this case, by faith. Prosperity gospel preachers, they are the low of the low. They are scammers, they are fraudsters, and the fact that they benefit from protections that are put in place for legitimate preachers and churches is absolutely disgusting. Absolutely. It's really easy to see why people get taken advantage of. And I think it's easy for people to say, oh, that would never happen to me. But like you said, Del, if you are very vulnerable, if you're very sick, if you know you're living paycheck to paycheck it's easy to think okay these people will help me faith and religion is something that so many people are exposed to in prayer you know we pray because we want help either for ourselves someone we know for the world at large so it really just makes sense all of this kind of reminds me of people i don't know when this really took place uh, but people that would come into towns and try to sell these amazing products to people. This will cure X, Y, Z, and you'll be the healthiest you've ever been. You'll lose 50 pounds and everyone will be so attracted to you. And then you take this tonic that they give you and nothing changes. You might get worse even. It's the same thing. And it also kind of reminds me of, I'm sure we've all seen videos of people preaching and someone saying, okay, we're all, there's this person who can't walk or this person that's blind and we're all going to pray together and we're going to cure their ailment. And then, you know, we magically pray and this person walks across the stage and then does like jumping jacks and flies through the air. It's all staged. It's all fake. It's just, it's an act to make you, you know, want to give to these preachers more and just help with this lie. And listen, this is coming from a religious perspective, but true faith doesn't require you to give money to another man. It requires your true devotion to God. And what I think prosperity gospel teachers do is they warp it to say, well, I am the intermediary between your prayer and God's ear. And if you don't give me money, you can do all the praying you want to and it won't matter. People, they believe that. Like you said, they're desperate. They're sick. They're in an economically disadvantaged position. And so people are able to falsify the word of God. They're able to claim expertise in something that they are not experts in. Um, I read this article about someone who had left the prosperity gospel. I believe he was originally from Nigeria. And like Dell said, it is the prosperity gospel is really booming 
in that part of Africa. And he had said, nowhere in the Bible does God say that his people are entitled to material prosperity. The type of prosperity which the Bible most emphasizes is spiritual prosperity. So that's exactly what you said, Del. All you need is a good heart, I think, to really be spiritually fulfilled. And that means something different to everyone, too. Um, I would kind of hope that being spiritually fulfilled doesn't include having a $65 million Gulfstream jet. I would say maybe get your priorities straight if that is very important to you. But I think that does get lost in a lot of talks about religion that I think love and hope and I think that love should be the center of a lot of religions not fear and judgment for people if they're not abiding by what you have to say and in this case if they're not giving money just to support that if you go to Matthew chapter 19 verse 24 it states again I tell you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So if you're someone that is satiated by a $65 million jet, I find it very hard to believe that you are living true to the word of God and living true in your faith and devotion to Jesus Christ as your savior. Del, I'm not sure if you know, but has anyone ever brought up that piece of scripture to any of the people we mentioned? Do you know what their thoughts are on that? So I have not seen anyone actually respond to that specific scripture. And it's unfortunate because I think it's a really important one because it's one directly from the word of Jesus. Um, That's his quote. That's what he said to his disciples. And if you are Protestant, you believe in the divinity of Jesus. So I would love to get someone to answer that question. Like, tell us, like, how do you in your world say that you need $300 million? A man claims all of this stuff, yet you're also telling people that you are divine and godly inspired. What God? If they tell me that it is not Jesus Christ, it's not the Christian God that they're preaching to, that'd be one thing. Like, okay, uh, you're not preaching about the Christian God. Fine. You know, I don't know what God you're preaching about. But the fact that they try to claim that they're preaching about the Christian God, yet all of their messaging is against what he actually says, I don't think they would ever answer that question. I don't think they would ever look into the verses that specifically talk about the sin of greed, the sin of accumulation, and the sin of depriving your fellow man of worldly gains because you're holding all of it for yourself. So many prosperity gospel teachers use what is termed the Protestant work ethic to justify their teachings and the offerings that they ask their supporters to give. And the Protestant work ethic is the value attached to hard work, thrift, and efficiency in one's worldly callings, which are deemed signs of an individual's election or internal salvation. It is sometimes connected to capitalism, but many have criticized this, including Martin Luther King Jr., who stated, quote, we have deluded ourselves into believing the myth that capitalism grew and prospered out of the Protestant ethic of hard work and sacrifice. The fact is that capitalism was built on the exploitation and suffering of black slaves and continues to thrive on the exploitation of the poor, both black and white, 
here and abroad, end quote. And I thought that was a really important thing to include because people think that this myth is what drives the American spirit. It's what drives innovation. And it's just false. It's not a real thing. Everyone has a work ethic. Everyone is trying to work hard. And I don't think that it's fair to say only one group of people have the right work ethic. I totally agree. And I guess this really goes hand in hand with the myth of the American dream. You know, you work hard enough, you start off as the janitor and 25 years later, you can be the CEO or something like that. And, you know, maybe for some people it works that way, but the American dream, I think, ignores a lot of other factors in life. Um, And I think that's a little bit of what Martin Luther King is touching on as well. And I mean, we see exploitation of the poor going on right now with the pandemic. We see people in generally lower paying service jobs out there on the front line working so that people in higher paying jobs and higher income households can be more comfortable. I remember John Oliver, he did a segment on the meatpacking industry And he specifically looked at Tyson Foods and the way they were treating their two groups of employees where you had one group of the corporate employees that were mostly white. They were working from home. They had a bunch of benefits, you know, definitely was always trying to keep them safe. But then you had the actual frontline people who were working on the line and they were mostly black and brown individuals and immigrants. And they were literally packed so closely together that one of the most common workplace injuries was getting stabbed with a co-worker's knife. And there was a huge outbreak of COVID in this Tyson facility. And it turns out that the managers were actually betting on who was going to get COVID and, you know, how long it was going to be closed down because of COVID, who was passing it to who. Just crazy bets that they were making at the expense of the lower income employees at this Tyson factory. I think that right there is everything that's wrong with, like, corporate America and corporate greed, really. Just, it's a joke to them that people out there doing more work for the company probably more work at least that affects everyday people they're making fun of them essentially and they clearly aren't caring if they're taking the time to bet why don't you take the time to make safer facilities and have come up with better protocol Dal, have you ever worked uh like retail or in the food industry or anything so i worked retail at target for like a month so i worked retail a year and a half two years at two different stores three different stores one I only worked at for like two weeks but that's another story um kind of throughout my college career and a little post-college and you really do get a lot of abuse as a retail worker and people in the service industry and I think A lot of people say this, but I think that everyone should have to work in retail or food service at some point in their life to just really get a dose of reality and a slice of humble pie. I don't know what it is, but being behind a counter, people really just think they have the right to abuse and insult you and make you feel like you're the smallest person in the world. Uh, I worked at a store at the mall one time and I had a woman make me cry and she tried to get other customers to gang up on me and then she called and complained about me to our managers. And all I did wrong was I didn't ask for her ID, which 
you know, that is a mistake on my part, but I don't think it's worth it to get people to gang up on a 19, 20 year old girl to just make yourself feel better for, I don't know, a day. Right. And maybe not even a whole day. And the weirdest thing is the quote unquote mistake that you made worked in her favor. Let's say she had forgot her ID that day for whatever reason and you didn't ask for it. It's such a weird thing to get mad about. And I definitely have heard and seen a lot of horror stories when it comes to retail and when it comes to food service. And people just, like you said, thinking that they can talk to people in the worst demeanor. Like just because someone is working those type of jobs doesn't make them any less of a person, doesn't make them any less worthy of respect and dignity. And if anything, this pandemic has really showed us how vital these people are. I know everyone always wants to make fun of people that work at McDonald's and joke like, oh, I'll have fries with that. But they're giving you food and it's some people's maybe only meal of the day, only meal that they can afford. People at the grocery store too, I think they're probably some of the most vital people right now. Right. And, you know, some people try to defend themselves by saying, oh, well, they were nasty to me. Well, you don't have to go there. There are how many McDonald's in the world? Go to another one if you didn't like the service of that McDonald's. There is no reason to be nasty to someone just because you didn't like their attitude. Use those bootstrap logic that people like to talk about, where it's like, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to pick myself up and keep going because I'm the only one that can do for me. Use that logic when thinking about your interaction with service workers. Absolutely. And you never know what someone is going through day to day. So please keep that in mind, especially now we have so much going on all over the world. Just please be kind to service workers and anybody in your life, really. And definitely this mentality of thinking of service workers like they don't deserve respect definitely can be considered some hive mind activity. And one of the concepts that really encapsulates that type of hive mind thinking are cults. A cult is a social group that is defined by its unusual religious, spiritual beliefs, or by its common interest in a particular personality, object, or goal. So we're going to go over some of the most common types of cults and then get into our feelings on them. So the first one is a doomsday cult. And these cults refer to groups that predict disasters or they attempt to bring about the apocalypse. One example is the Heaven's Gate cult. And this was an American UFO religious cult based near San Diego, California. It was founded in 1974 and led by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Meadows. On March 26, 1997, deputies of the San Diego County Sheriff's Department discovered the bodies of 39 members of the group, including that of Applewhite, in a house in the San Diego suburb of Rancho Santa Fe. They had participated in a mass suicide, a coordinated series of ritual suicides, in order to reach what they believed was an extraterrestrial spacecraft following the comet Haley-Fox. 
So the next type is a destructive cult. This refers to groups who members have through deliberate action physically injured or killed other members of their own group or other people. And one of the most prominent examples of this is the People's Temples of the Disciples of Christ, commonly shortened to the People's Temple. And this was an American new religious organization which existed between 1954 and 1978 and was founded by Jim Jones. We're actually going to have a whole case dedicated to Jim Jones and what happened at the People's Temple. But the temple is best known for the events of November 18, 1978 in Guyana when 909 people died in a mass suicide event at its remote settlement named Jonestown, as well as the murders of U.S. Congressman Leo Ryan and members of his visiting delegation at the nearby airstrip. Then there is terrorist cults. Terrorism is in the broadest sense the use of intentional violence to achieve political aims. It is used in this regard primarily to refer to violence during peacetime or in the context of war against non-combatants, mostly civilians and neutral military personnel. Similar to Al-Qaeda, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, better known as ISIS, adheres to an even more extremist and puritanical ideology in which the goal is to create a state governed by Sharia as interpreted by its religious leadership. They then brainwash and command their able-bodied male subjects to go on suicide missions against its enemies, including deliberately selected civilian targets such as churches and Shiite mosques, among others. ISIS subjects view this as a legitimate action. And finally, we have polygamous cults. And these are cults that teach and practice polygamy, which is marriage between more than two people. And most preach that one man should have multiple wives. One example of this is the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the FLDS Church. It is one of the largest polygamous cults in the United States. And it was formed when the Mormon church banned polygamy and disallowed its members from continuing the practice. So Jenny, what do you think is the most dangerous form of a cult? I would say terrorism is probably the worst in my eyes just because I think it hurts the most people and is most threatening. And I think of terrorism, it doesn't have to be global, but it it seems the most widespread. The groups we mentioned are all insanely radical and not representative of their religion. Cults like the People's Temple and Heaven's Gate seem to go unnoticed until it's too late, which I can't even imagine how painful that is for followers, family members, especially when they seek help, but there's really nothing law enforcement can do. I know um, that definitely happened with the People's Temple, and that's why Leo Ryan uh, ended up getting killed because family members were asked asking him to go and check on their loved ones that were in Jonestown. Doomsday preppers, to me, don't seem too dangerous, but we've definitely seen a few people take it too far. Um, In addition to the Heaven's Gate group, uh, recently Lori Vallow and her husband come to mind. Many people believe that Lori Vallow was kind of a doomsday prepper and a very extreme Mormon who... Many people think that she murdered her children with, or her husband murdered her children. Um, I don't think they've been charged with that yet, 
but there's a lot of evidence that makes people feel that way. The FLDS really worries me too because there is so much abuse and brainwashing involved. There's a lot of documentaries on them. Um, there's a show on the network A&E. It's about escaping um, this particular FLDS group and it's kind of like the mafia almost. Like They'll come after you and they will make your life a living hell and they'll isolate you from people and you have to just like start your life over like once you're away from them that's it you need to get as far away as you can there's a lot of child marriage and incest that comes to mind too when I think of the FLDS families I think that's probably what a lot of people think and Warren Jeffs who was the former leader he's in jail for the rest of his life for sexual assault of a child. I think maybe two counts of that. And many members don't think he did anything wrong. And because he's in jail, it's another instance to them of the outside world not understanding who they are and being a bad place that wants to take away their religion and their culture, essentially. And it's infuriating to me when people try to use religion as a way to take advantage of people. And I think that's absolutely what Warren Jeffs did. He used his religion to take advantage of primarily young girls. I think that there are men who have accused him of sexual violence as well. That's not something that people should have to deal with. No child should have to live in fear and know that when you turn 14, you're going to be married to your 45-year-old uncle. A lot of cults, not many that we mentioned, but so many of them like the sex is like the main goal. I always feel like I hear with cults talk of sexual assault and rape and repression of men and women in different cults and a lot of sexual abuse of children as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that terrorism ranks very high on my list of what the most dangerous forms of cult are. I think that anytime you are tying in bad behavior with faith, you tend to get very extreme outcomes and you tend to garner more devotion from the different adherents. So would someone commit an act of terrorism because someone got their order wrong at a restaurant? Probably not. But would someone commit an act of terrorism because you tell them that the only way they could get closer to God is by killing a bunch of people? Yeah, you have a lot of people that are willing to commit very heinous acts simply because they were taught that that is the way of garnering God's love. And it's definitely a very tragic and sad thing and it is something that's very prevalent across the world. Do you think you'll ever fall into a cult? I can't say 100%. In my state of mind right now, no, I don't think so. But I think a lot of these groups start off as spiritual groups with very good intentions of connecting people and maybe bringing you to your higher self to some kind of higher spiritual presence. And that is very you know, attractive to me. That's something I would be interested in. Then we see how these, you know, good intentions can turn into really terrible things. I feel like thinking about it now, uh, with Jonestown, I think if I was around in the 60s and 70s, I probably would gladly join them. Because they did start off as kind of like, they wanted to be like a racial utopia and uh, like a progressive group with religion and they were very open-minded and welcoming people all in the name of Christianity and faith. I definitely see why a lot of people joined. 
I'm not too sure how, you know, things kind of took a wrong turn. I know that Jim Jones was a bit of a scam artist, but yeah, I, I definitely understand, like we said, why people get involved in these cults. And, you know, I would like to think maybe I wouldn't, but we still hear about cults today. It's not really, you know, a thing of the past. People want to talk about Scientology too, but Nexium wasn't that long ago that it got busted. It's really easy for me to see myself thinking, oh, okay, I really want to help X, Y, and Z. I'm really interested in these thoughts. And then months in, you've given them all your money or you're moving somewhere and you're like giving up all your independence somehow. I definitely understand the allure of a cult. I don't think that I would ever fall into one. I think that one of the things that I try to do is maintain some realism in any type of social group that I'm joining. And I try to keep it as close-knit as possible. And cults by their nature are constantly expanding, are constantly recruiting. They expect their members to be recruiting for them. And that's not something that I am okay with. That's not something that's within my comfort zone. And I consider myself a person of faith. And I think that also shields me from some of the messaging that comes along with cults. For example, the prosperity gospel cult. I would never fall for that because the minute you tell me that in order for God to hear my prayers, I have to give you money, I would be like, you're full of shit. No, I don't. And I think that because of that, cults are not as appealing to me. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the prosperity gospel and the false promises it gives to those who follow it. Make sure you click the subscribe button. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube every Wednesday with a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at Crime Corruption Cocktails and on Twitter at Charading. Please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you can give. This is Jenny and Del signing off. Stay safe. Thank you.